2: I'm David Bishop, author of Medagility, and this is the Agile Uprising Podcast.
0: Greetings So, welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. I am your host, Jay Hersko. Join with me once again, I have my good friend and partner in crime, Mr. Chris Merman. Chris, how are you?
1: Jay, you, uh, you lift my soul.
0: Oh, well, at least I uh, have that effect on someone. My wife just wants to stab me in the face. All right, so this week, what are we talking about? This week, we are going to talk about the book, Metagility, Managing Agile Development for Competitive Advantage. And joining us this week to talk about the book, we have the author himself, Mr. David Bishop. David, thank you so much for joining.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: So, David, um, before we go into the details of the book, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself in case they're not familiar with you?
2: Sure. Well, uh, I've been in the uh, technology industry for about 25 years. I've uh, done just a little bit of everything um, from software development to management to architecture And uh, I've worked primarily in uh, telecommunications, transportation, and power utility verticals for the most part, uh, in in highly regulated industries, for example, mostly. And uh, so, about uh, a little over 10 years ago, um, I uh, was working for a company that was trying to uh, uh, go through an agile adoption process, and they were really struggling with it. And I thought, you know what, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so, I embarked on a pretty long journey of uh, my own to uh, find a solution to the problem. And that's, uh, that resulted in the book that we're talking about tonight. Okay. Okay. So that was going to lead to my next question is why a book,
0: why a book? And then why now? Right.
1: Well, it's actually, hold on. Let me, let me interrupt David here. It's actually not now. This is in a way we're celebrating the book a little, a little past its original, fun launch day. D- David, would you like to let the listeners know what happened when you tried to originally release this book?
2: Well, it was released a little over a couple of years ago, and uh essentially it's uh COVID. So uh, right as I was starting my yeah. book tour, uh COVID hit uh, yeah. in March of 2020, and that slowed my roll, to, to, to make a <laughs> long story short. Just, just a little bit of a speed bump. If you it. actually got, like, t- take, like, just Jay just take that in
1: consideration right not only I've I've written a book I did not get a tour you know like I was just the schmuck helping the main schmuck writing it so like David does this he gets an actual tour and COVID's like nah so yeah like that's anyways I I want to say that like th- this book is a book we should have been talking about for two years and yep. you know David like as soon as Jay and I started talking about it we're like this is kind of there's something here Right. We need to hear more about it. We didn't get a chance to just because. So for everybody playing the home game, this is a makeup. This is a makeup pod. We should have done <laughs> this with David. We probably, you know, if, if I hadn't crossed paths with David professionally, like I probably wouldn't even known it existed anyway. So we're glad you're here. How how did how did you kind of come along the starts of the book?
2: Um, let's see. You mean like, why did why did I put it in book form or how did I come about the idea and, and the progression? Whatever. Of- You tell me. Well, uh, you know, a a little over 10 years ago, I was working for a company that was uh, in the process of developing embedded systems. And they were trying to adopt agile or adapt agile to their environment. They were struggling really badly. And they hired a a consulting firm after firm, at least on two or three occasions and had lots of false starts and and failures. And uh, we were in a relatively new industry called smart metering. Uh, which is uh, at the time a relatively new industry. It's pretty mature now, but uh, the technology was fairly new at that point. And so there was a big rush to, to try and grab as much market share as possible uh, because uh, you know, our clients were power utilities and uh, these meters had like a 20-year shelf life. So once uh, a power utility company got a contract with a provider, they were out of the market for quite some time. So the idea was to try and gobble up as many clients as possible. And Agile was perceived as uh, a big part of being able to do that. And a lot of our clients demanded that, you know, we were an Agile company, that we uh, used Agile principles, uh, but um, uh, management was struggling quite a bit with trying to make that happen. And so I thought, you know, after working with a lot of these consultants, trying to help them help us adopt Agile, uh, I realized that, uh, hey, there's got to be a better way to do this. Of course, this is, you know, 2009, 2010 timeframe. This has been quite some time ago now, but it just it just wasn't working. And I thought, you know, many of these companies don't seem to really understand our business. Most of them came from the software route, oh. and they only worked with software. They didn't understand embedded systems. They didn't understand how to adapt Agile to hardware and, and, and firmware development. And that was a huge gap. And I thought, well, I'm going to try and fix this gap. And so one of the problems I noticed was that um, there wasn't a lot of experience. Most people who were trying to to coach us, you know, didn't have any experience in that area. And and they were coaching based on their experience solely. And of course, back in that time, you know, the manifesto wasn't even a decade old. So um, there just wasn't a lot of research or background or knowledge out there like there is today. And so um, I thought, you know, I'm going to try to solve this problem a different way. I'm going to leverage business research. So I decided to go back to school and get a PhD and business with a focus in CIS. And I actually uh, concentrated my dissertation on solving this problem. So that was, I mean,
0: that was one of the first things that jumped out at me, David, when I started reading the book is, you know, you you spoke very early on about the idea of embedded systems and the idea of hardware, uh, hardware, software, firmware. This is a kind of unique niche, not only in software engineering and in the agile world, but it's really, really kind of those weird sort of corner that doesn't really get a lot of sunlight. You know what I mean? Like when, when I started reading through your book, I'm like, oh, this is different because, everybody talks about Agile, 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 Agile. And you have Joe Justice talking about Agile Tesla and everybody talks about Agile and hardware and building cars and whatnot. But there is a complexity that comes with the software, firmware, hardware, triumvirate that you actually kind of put together rather interestingly. Um, and and that leads me to how you actually wrote the book, right? Because this isn't a book where, you know, most books fall into two categories. It's a narrative, right? It's it's the L.E. The e. Golden Rat theory of constraints you're telling a story or it's, Framer, framework, 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 pattern, pattern, framework, framework. You step actually, one,
1: step two.
0: Right, right. Very, very prescriptive. Whereas yours was very much a here's our ideas, here's where we're coming from, here's actual feedback from people we're working with. So there was a lot of a almost quasi-case study. Um conversation embedded in the content, uh, the content of the book to show that, Hey, this is where we're coming from. And this is why we came that way. How did you end up that way? Cause it is a very novel approach. And honestly, that's one of the things that kept me reading. Cause I, I, I never read a book structured like that.
2: Well, it's, it's based on this idea of grounded theory research, which is a form of qualitative research. And it's actually pretty innovative. Um, uh, grounded theory is this idea of taking these case studies and, uh, Analyzing the data in such a way as to uh, find out what the central phenomenon is, and uh, break it down into its components, uh, if that makes sense. But it's uh, essentially, I think, what makes the book so interesting. What you're seeing there is this this uh, grounded theory research approach, um, which makes it pretty different. Jay, I I just figured out
1: what we're going to spend the second half of this podcast talking about. So I want to find out more about this book, and then we're going to find because, like, this grounded theory. It seems, it sounds, I, I'm not, I have not utilized it. So I, I would be curious more to the, like the nuts and bolts. Cause I mean, think about it. I mean, David, what's the, how's the amount of time that you spend getting data and then you look at it and they're like, Oh, it's quantitative. It's quite, quanti-, you know, there's, there's actual hard numbers and stuff. And then you look and the, yeah, there's numbers, but they feel really soft. They're not grounded to a lot of, you know, hard coded facts, you know, it's still, it's a, it's a lot of feelings, but along with numbers. And, and then, so, you know, you're really no more different than, uh, you know, analyzing the number of times that someone says DevOps in a retro with machine learning, than you would like look at that kind of fuzzy data. So like, I mean, really David, like we're presented with this vast amount of, of a trove of awesomeness, but it's all qualitative and yet we're still feeling around in the dark on how to understand it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so that, I, uh... had a, I mean, when did like, what, what is it about, what is it about your algorithm or your sorting stack or whatever that kind of got you to click some light bulbs on and go, Oh, that now I'm seeing qualitative in a new way, almost seeing it more from a quantitative perspective.
2: Yeah, I think that uh, well, I, I I spent some time researching how to do the research. You know what my methodology was going to be, and You've I've got to done. love
1: engineers. They need to explain. <laughs> yeah.
2: They need to explain how they're going to explain something. Yeah. Like God, yep. bless <laughs> God bless you. God bless you, David. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I realized that. Um, well, I found that uh, uh, IT re- qualitative methodologies are probably the best way to research IT projects uh there's actually papers out there that talk about that because it is highly contextual and that's what qualitative research focuses on focuses on is the context and you know we're talking about a context right now the context of embedded systems and how agile applies to that um you know as opposed to a quantitative approach which is more statistical more numbers related uh but you don't really get the story you don't really get the uh, the context you don't really get the, the find out what that central phenomenon is that's the, the mystery behind the madness, so to speak, if that makes sense so it's, not only is it more interesting but it's more applicable to to our industry
1: Well, and executives of all shapes and sizes understand understand that language much better than they can hey, here's a slide with a bunch of numbers on it, you know
0: Right. Yeah. That was one of the things that jumped out of me is you took a a qualitative approach to end up with quantitative numbers, which is it's a it's a yeoman's amount of work. Right. There's a lot. Excuse me. There's a lot of work that actually went into that. Um, So speaking of the grounded systems theory, David, I would like to ask you about your and and with an engineering background, this does kind of make sense. The use of fluid dynamics. right? Right. As a metaphor. Right. Like, you know, Merman will tell you, I read everything. Right. I, I read everything. I actually had True. this book on the pile until until Merman said, hey, did you ever get through that? Because I work with David. I'm like, oh, shit. Well, it's now at the top of the pile. <laughs> um, but I've never seen that choice of metaphor before. And when you when you start and we're going to go into next, we'll go into the idea of the metagility and the whirlpool and whatnot, the, the viscosity and vorticity. Um, the more I read, the more it made sense. How did you how did you land on that as a metaphor?
2: Well, thought experiments have always been a really uh, good way of explaining complex topics, you know, like uh, Einstein's elevator, for example, he used that to explain relativity, right? So a lot of researchers use these thought experiments to illustrate, you know, whatever theory they're trying to expound upon. And so I was trying to find the same thing because agile vorticity, as you'll find, is is pretty complex when we get into it. Um, So I needed some kind of illustration to to make it uh, more easy to understand and explain. And the idea of flow is a common uh, term. It's commonly associated with agility. And uh, it's also commonly associated with innovation. There's a a guy named Everett Rogers who wrote a book called The Fusion of Innovations. And he talks about how innovation is is like a a flow, right? And, um, uh how my theory connects to that is that uh, inside this flow of innovation you have these little whirlpools that sometimes occur depending on different market conditions and so those whirlpools explain um, agile in a specific context like embedded systems for example and, and why you may have these rapid uh, this this rapid change in a specific industry or for a specific type of product
1: can, can i can i tag in? real quick on that david like this idea of um we we keep coming on like embedded systems is kind of was the your your entry point into seeing kind of a layer on top of maybe not a layer on top of agility but like this the the title says it all itself right there's this layer kind of floating around above below whatever you want to call it you know agility right and you know that does say, hey, so what if I, all right, so I'm reading the manifesto, I'm reading all the principles, I'm reading all these books about mindset and everything. Why, why, why did we miss something? Like a lot of times people talk about what, Agile misses out on this. Agile misses out on this. You know, this is missing from the coaching stance. This is missing from the manifesto. This is missing from this framework. Nobody even cares about this piece and this is all over here kind of a thing, right? right. So like there's been a lot of Agile for this, Agile for that. And and I don't, when when you and I first talked um, one-on-one about this, you, you gave me this sense of, I'm not trying to recreate something, right? I just... I'm trying to, like, wh- I forget the exact phrase. Like, you, you'd like to bolt on, you'd like to add to, you know, customize, whatever. But you felt like there was something missing. Um, why- Do you think that that's something that – was that a fruitful effort for you, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it? Like, forget the fact that you wrote a book and book tour and we're getting to talk about it now. Like, I, I get talking to me is super cool, but it's not that cool, right? So. <laughs> This notion of why, like, why did you feel like you needed to keep going down this path of there's something plus something and something more like, why did that,
2: why did that do what or why did that start? I think it's because of, uh, you know, uh, what we see in the industry today. I mean, it's not about software anymore. It's about devices and uh, all the innovation happening today is really around devices, smart cars, IOT, smart thermostats, smart everything. You know, and 20 years ago, that wasn't the case. It was all about websites and software, right? And so I think uh, as the industry uh, started to develop more of these smart devices, uh, this idea of, uh, of embedded systems and making them more agile became more and more important. And I think that's why it was missing originally, because 20 years ago, it wasn't really a thing. And then in the past decade, it certainly has. It's been uh, we're all the innovation <laughs> it'd
1: be, happening. It'd be great if we could secure these devices, too, for... Oh, like, uh, that's...
0: That security who needs security right right sure i've seen the movie run away tom sellout a will, part of the cloud will, tom Selleck will, will will defend us um security is absolutely but, not part of the cloud when when Chris was asking that question, David. I, I think I I think I kind of came, I think I came with an answer in my head. So after reading the book, I'm going to try and answer that. And you tell me, you tell me if I got the book yeah. right, right? So I'm just going to ask said,
1: Jay the questions from now on. Just for the rest <laughs> no, of the but this is,
0: this is like David's the teacher. He's giving me the exam here. Yeah. If, I, if I answer wrong, he knows that I definitely read the clips, notes, not the real book. So you ask, you know, what is this adding on to the thought of agility, right? Um, and the thought of the manifesto, what was missing? Well, when I look at the picture in the book of the whirlpool, right? In the middle of that whirlpool is market pressure, right? And then around that market pressure is pulling, It that's what amounts to market agility. It's pulling product in. It's pulling that product genesis. And that product genesis is pulling along the software agility. So I I would dare say, David, keep me honest here, I would dare say that the book calls out the explicit driver that's pulling, for lack of a better term, the agile forward. It's the market and the product demands that are actually pulling forward. So I guess right. we kind of answer our own question, Merman. On, a, on, did I get the A, Professor Bishop? Did I get the A? Yeah, did I think I mean, that's,
2: that's a great depiction of it. Such a kiss ass.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. but he, here's the thing, Merman. Right? How many times have we worked on transformations where we're changing how we do the thing without realizing why we're doing the thing? And the explicitly why we're doing the thing is the market is pulling the business in the direction that needs it behooves them to do this. Sure, sure. I mean, like, think about. I mean. It's not like you you can
1: draw a straight line from from the you know from the base you know, from Kent's book, his first book, all the way to Metagility, right? I know there has been been many translations, been many uh, interpretations, many this and that, and actually this from a technical capacity. No, it's this, no it's, you know whatever right like no we build everything as code no we you know it's about touch free and and you know democratized and all these words that we use right but i mean there, there is something to be said for we've always attacked agility from a process side first and we yep. ignore the technical pieces that really make this stuff better and and david just pressed on that nerve until like he found something with the pulse and said, there's nothing here. Right. I, I love that we're describing, we're selling David's book for him. And David, I apologize. <laughs> Jay and I talk way too much in these podcasts. <laughs> so you're just going to have to be a good, you're going to have to be a good <clears throat> and uh, step in here. Like what, 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 where do you think we stand from like a, from a technical excellence standpoint today versus 10
2: years ago? Um. Well, I think we're certainly better. I mean, we're certainly, uh, I think we have a higher degree of technical excellence today than we did a decade ago. Um, and I think agile has been a big part of that. I think we've seen, uh, you know, more larger, more complex organizations with more complex products adopting agile, uh, albeit I think in a more of a hybrid way, which is what also, what the book talks about is that, uh, you know, hybrid agility was often looked upon originally as, uh, Sort of a, a problem, you know, or this is a this is a failed agile adaptation if you have a hybrid approach, right? But that's actually part of uh, what made this organization more technically excellent. Is their hybrid agile adaptation I actually helped them become number one in their market uh, in a couple of my uh, case studies here? And uh, uh, we found that especially with embedded systems, that's been a key to helping them uh, achieve market dominance. So before
0: we go down, I want to I wanna pull on that hybrid string. But before we go there, Dave, I, uh, David, I'd like to ask you if you could, because I think this word actually comes into play here. Can you define for our listeners that term vorticity and how that relates to what we're saying here? Because again, I think I could get the A on the test and explain it, but I'd rather have you do it.
2: Sure. All right. Well, here it goes. That's a little bit long, but <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to dive into this river of vorticity here. So um, you know we we characterize uh, innovation as a flow, right? Like a flow of water, a flow of water in a river, for example. And uh, uh, the water that's closer to the bank is actually slowed by friction. So the water that's in the middle uh, is running faster than the water that is closer to the bank. And so if you have like a vorticity meter, which is like a little it's like a little floater with a flag on it, you stick it in the water, it's going to spin uh, because there's a great difference between the two flows of water. One's moving much faster than the other. And the faster that meter spins, the higher your vorticity. If the flow of water is moving at the same pace, you're going to have zero vorticity and it's not going to move at all. So if you go back to the illustration you mentioned earlier, the whirlpool, where you have the market pressure in the middle, you have your product genesis outside of that, right? And it's pulling the organization, the development organization is trying to match that speed so the vorticity meter is going to be stuck right there between product genesis and the organization. And it's going to measure how fast the different flows of water are moving. And if the inner flows of water, the market pressure and product genesis are, are, is moving really fast and the organization is moving really slow and they can't keep up, you're going to have very high vorticity. Uh, if the organization is able to keep up, they're able to match that uh, uh, match the product genesis. They're able to get that product out the door as fast as, the client's demanding it, then you're going to have zero vorticity because they're all moving at the same speed. And that is your measure of agility. And that's been the big nut that the industry has been trying to crack for a long time is how do we measure agility? Uh, And that's what what this research does. It solves that (laughs) problem. Can you keep up
1: with what's being asked of you by not by bosses, not by people whose paychecks depend on right getting more features out depending on like getting more decks ready whatever whatever meta work right let's pull meta into everything right like getting instead of like meta value like actual value like the value is needing you to go faster and we have i mean you said are we i asked you if we're technically better than we were 10 years ago well we have to just because of the number of like with every it's like agile. We're getting better with every legacy system we sunset, right? <laughs> with every right.
0: with every failed transformation. With, it's one no, step
1: closer. No, with every time we sunset a legacy application that's more than thirty years old, like the more you know the the, the less we need COBOL, right? Like or whatever, you know. It's never I mean, it's
0: it, never going away. Don't kid yourself. I, that's it's never fine. going away. That's <laughs>
1: fine. I picked up. I picked up. I picked a random <laughs> language, but what david's really calling out is we have to we have to make our systems able to keep up with the markets demanding it and we put a lot of band-aids on things like david tell me about the band-aids you've seen on all these on all these systems over over the last 10 years just say right like uh, we used to joke. The very first app that I was a QA lead for, we used to say it was held together with baling wire and duct tape. If you breathe on it wrong, it'd, it'd break in production, or whatever, right? Right. And it was a It was a it was a charging and billing app. I mean, it was not. I mean, it was n- nobody's lives were making any better. Although it kept making the company money, but the, the you know that idea of we're just gonna duct tape and band aid our way to another a year. Let's get two more quarters out of this. Let's get four more quarters out of this. I've heard that so many times. Let's just get three more quarters out of the system and then we can sunset it, right? Like, which means I'll, I'll come up with another excuse to not sunset it in a year, right? Like, you've seen this a lot. Like, why, why do we have a problem saying goodbye to like old crappy systems?
2: Yeah, I think it's uh, there's probably a, a lot of good answers for that. I think a lot of it's just resistance to change uh, uh, you know, change is painful for some and, uh, you know, changing an old legacy system requires, uh, a lot of times it requires, uh, not just a transformation of, of, of a process, but transformation of the business really, because, uh, you have to rethink your business in many cases and business transformation is hard. Um, you know, it has a high failure rate, just like agile transformation does really. And so, um, I think a lot of kind of like, uh, you know just as we as individuals, we try to if we try to transform ourselves, we try to lose a hundred pounds, right? Or we try to build a bunch of muscle, you know, at uh, 40 plus years of age. It's very hard to do without a coach. And uh I think a lot of ch boys- cocaine, yeah, those kind of <laughs> things. You really, you know, you, Jay's you Barry, Jay's diet plan is to you need shave Barry his Bonds'
0: trainer, is what you need. You need Barry Bonds' trainer. Yeah.
1: Jay Jay shaves his beard and goes, I lost five pounds,
2: honey. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I think that um, I think organizations have the same problem. You know, they they can't do it without a coach, and a lot of times that's what I think that's what it takes to do these kinds of uh, agile transformation, business transformation, digital transformation, which often goes hand in hand with getting rid of legacy systems. Right.
1: Um, I you know it's funny you speak about business transformation being so hard. Like I. I, you know, I started on the business side of things and moved and got more technical as it went. You probably your your arcs, maybe not exactly the opposite, but you probably came out from another angle. But all we're doing is really highlighting like, whatever we thought we came in knowing. And that was the thing. Like, if you just do this, you'll be agile. If you just do this, at least you'll be agile enough or whatever. Right. Like, as if that's a tear, like David said, hybrid used to be a bad word, like agile. And en- like we've on this podcast made jokes about, oh, that's agile enough as if like, that's a derision. Right. Like what, what if that's enough? It, ha- it like,
0: has to be, there has to be some that, sort of middle enough. ground.
1: Yeah, Yeah. like, but so anyways, but what Dave is talking about something completely different, like this isn't an option, like the vortex means the market's going to dictate you go or you're going to get swallowed up, right, someone's going to miss an opportunity, there's growth loss, there's jobs loss, there's, you know, market share loss, there's any number of things, right, that can, or it could just be slowly dwindling away of you being cool. You know, like market like Microsoft market share has not necessarily gone down, but in the last decade, nobody is like showing up to work going, can I please have a Windows machine? Everybody's like, no, give me that, give me that sweet silver chrome on my on my work machine, dude. Right. I'm just saying, like, there's a there's something that can be lost, right? Regardless right. of whatever it is.
0: Yeah, I'm not asking for a MacBook. I'm not asking for a MacBook. Moving along. Um, but to your point though, right? So we have this whirlpool and you have the market is pulling at a certain speed which is pulling the business along at a certain speed. So where we kind of struggle with transformations is where that that business agility meets that 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 software technical delivery agility, right? That's our first point of vorticity. But David when you went into the weeds with the like, back to embedded systems when you went into that piece and talked about how if you look at software firmware and hardware as three different cycles inside that whirlpool. Yeah. And where it doesn't make sense. You know not only can you really feasibly not physically build hardware at the same speed at which you can design and deploy software it makes sense to have a little bit of a of a slower pace not necessarily a warp speed vorticity between the two but it does make sense to slow them down enough to account for just the, the way you deliver work and the way you deliver value and that ties back to me that tied back to the hybrid agile thing where we walk in and we swing the safe banner and we say no two week sprints five in a row is a pi five PIs a year go forth and conquer where if you're in this type of environment that has, and, and I know we have some listeners that do do some embedded stuff, right? Some IOT stuff. If you're dealing with hardware, software, and, 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 and firmware simultaneously, you need to be, I hate to use this word, but you need to be a little pragmatic, right? In how you sequence that stuff. So everybody is keeping pace. so It flow the magic F word.
1: Telecommunications right. built on embedded systems, you know, and they're getting, yeah. and as they get more intelligent, Right, as edge networks like Verizon's putting out, like they're it's own They're only going to get some. It's not like it's not like in five years we're going to go. Well, we've built all the smart devices we need, you know.
2: <laughs>
0: right.
1: Sorry, David, you were saying.
2: You know, I was going to say that uh, you know, in, in the research, I found that uh, you know, software, firmware, and hardware adopted agile differently, but they did it in such a way as to uh, you know, obviously, it, it helped develop the the, the product of the quickest because I- each one of those domains was developing their own product they had a hardware product they had a firmware product they had a software product but it all had to be uh tested and released as one cohesive product together as well and so um you know for example the software domain they would have two-week sprints right they would have a full agile adoption as you would expect it to be and the organization also often used uh, software as sort of like a um uh, sort of a way to solve uh uh solve really bad problems like for example um if you if you think about uh um uh, well you know the boeing 747s right when they when they had their problem uh, it was really a they, they solved that problem through software it was actually caused by bad software and they fixed it with software but with an embedded system it's easy to easier to fix problems with a software solution because it's quick it's easy and the software teams typically move faster uh, as opposed to like a firmware or a hardware solution. So they, they try to right. find software solutions to fix these really critical defects. And then your firmware teams, they, they're going to have longer sprints, typically like a 30-day sprint because they don't have to move as fast. Uh, and their development is often tied to the hardware teams. And the hardware teams, uh, they, they typically have uh, more of a waterfall mode of operating, but they also have something called um, well, like low budget projects or what we called in the research sea level projects where it's almost like a rapid prototyping where, you know, if the software or the firmware team needs some sort of a test harness to be able to develop against, they would develop this rapid prototype to give them something to work on so they wouldn't have to wait on them. And so it was interesting to doc to see and document this interplay between all three of those domains and how they work together in, in the most efficient way, uh, to get the product out the door. So onto that
1: note about software helping with hardware challenges, I, I found a value stream once with a client years ago that the hardware was right smack dab in the middle of the value stream. So you had all this software, people, processes, and software that drove the first half of the value stream. Then it got handed off to a hardware system like something being so like people and planning and all that kind of stuff on the front end then equipment gets installed right so value stream up until that point in time hardware and then once it works and then is provisioned or you know once it's once it's online and capable and networked and everything then there's then there's all the software that happens on the back end provisioning. You can tell I'm going into telecommunications like those of you that have played the home game, right? So like how do you it's interesting i found i found that value stream the hardest just because like you always want to kind of build a buffer around hardware like you said so like when it's a smack dab in the middle of the value stream i mean it almost feels like you're doing like a reverse waterfall sandwich where you've got agile around either side of it and you've got to give that buffer of hey something may go wrong the lab may not be right the hardware does that does that make sense what i'm saying david
2: yeah. I mean, it's all about the uh, the interplay between those three domains and how they self-organize and work together. One of the things I did in the research is, well, when you, when you talk about agility, you often hear about interactions, right? That's one of the one of the tenets, people in interactions over processes and tools. Right. But what are the interactions? What are they? How do they work? No one's really documented that. And, and that's one of the things I gleaned out of the research is I categorized these different kinds of interactions into six different categories, and figured out, well, what, what is the interplay between these three domains? What kind of interactions do they have? And how do they manage that? Um, and that's what's a big part of what's in the book.
0: Yeah. And, like and that. that jump that I really enjoyed because, you know, discipline agile talked about being enterprise aware. And there is the concept of you know starting agile in the middle and the, the waterfall pieces on the outside where need be and then just slowly shrink them away. Uh, and especially when it comes to embedded systems, I think I, I think you're never going to be able to shrink those things fully away because, of, like you said, the pace at which that work is done. So, you know, there really there really is no right or wrong agile. There's either successful agile or not. And I'll and I think when you make a point in the book where you said you know hybrid agile is the only working solution. And I and I read that and I went. Yeah, he's right. And, and I actually would argue that the larger the organization, the more hybrid of an approach you need because right. of the complexity, because of the, the, the friction against the various rings around the See, whirlpool.
2: Well, it's now actually a function of uh, – there, there's a guy named Barlow, which I, I, I cite in the book, where he talks about how you know, it's a function of how large the teams are and how complex the product is, essentially. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: See, now, Jay, you just pissed me off because I have. Because <laughs> now I have to think, like, now I'm thinking about all of those times. Think about the number of conference presentations, white papers, blog posts, videos, whatever. Talk about the pureness of whatever it is we're doing. Like, I, th- this notion of you can't, like, if you're not doing it this way, you're not doing whatever. Pick the thing, pick the framework, pick the methodology. Oh, that's not Kanban. This is Kanban, right? Or whatever.
0: But David, David kinda of proved this wrong. He kind of proved this wrong, right? I mean, well, hey, listen, so we, so sacred merman, sacred thing. cows make the best hamburgers. But keep going. Keep it. going.
1: I love it. They're delicious. I Can't wait to eat more <laughs> sacred cows. The, the, and I apologize if anybody does not like beef. That's it's a metaphor. It's really yeah. I don't really shibboleth.
0: Actually, we're, we're challenging shibboleths here. I'll choose a different metaphor. Keep going. Keep going.
1: I just I just think that like um, I, it's like I feel my blood boiling over the the shame that either I've tried to give someone else or I've listened yep. to someone give someone else because like man, your standup was twenty two minutes long, bro. Like, are you sure you're at ag- you sure you're agile? You're yeah, sure.
0: yeah. Yeah. There was both definitely that, that yeah. fifteen.
1: You know, and I picked yeah. the most basic thing, right? Like most basic thing. Most pragmatic people say there's no difference between a fifteen and a twenty-minute stand-up. But the it's just this notion of like the same everything you're saying, David, it resonates with me because I've had a lot of UX conversations at my company lately. I've I've met with some the creative folks out of the house trying to make sure that they're part of this that you know this this agile party that i'm throwing and so i've heard a lot about their things, and it feels the exact same way that we're talking about embedded systems that we're talking about any sort of hardware of, of sorts like there is this kind of bubble of hey I, I may not get something done in two weeks you, you may not get a user story smaller than than a sprint with designers you may you may not i don't know a lot of people are every designer's weird You know, you, you put the best agile coaches in front of UX, UX strategists and, and pixel pushers and information architects, like you give them, you give them data and you say analyze and they're like, all right, I'll get back to you when, I don't know. I'll get back. Like sometimes this stuff just takes time. So like, why are we, why are we, I don't know.
0: You're going to, you're going to go off and do some soul searching, but, but to, but to your point though, right? And to what David brought up when you have even if you're listening to this episode and you don't do anything in firmware or even anything in hardware, think about those three rings as say for example, you have you're doing software which is built upon Oracle financials, right? Your GL system which is built upon an Oracle backend Right, like there is some vorticity there as well, getting the database changes at the right time because you're now hitting a black, what amounts to a black box system in Oracle GL, which you're then putting software on top of. So th- this conceptually is useful for all of us, right? Because there is that, or even like I mean, let's go down the safe rabbit hole, right? Your platform teams or your system teams, right? There is some, there's some vorticity there as well, where that friction comes into play, and just being aware of that, I think. Um, I think puts us in a better place. And I, and I, and I will, you know, well, we're, we're coming up on time here, but um, one of the other things you talked about David was you went through some of the different approaches that have been tried in the past, what works, what doesn't. And you made a very interesting call out, you know, like, Crapping on agile methodologies is basically a college and just cottage industry these days, right? Like, all you need to do is go on LinkedIn, grab some founder, talk a little snark, and then you'll get, you know, all this, all these cavalcades. But oh,
1: I'll tell but, you who to follow on LinkedIn <laughs> if you want to follow all those trolls. I get to you, DM, DM me. I got a whole list of those people you, I
0: block. You made a really good point where I actually, I actually wrote this down verbatim. I forgot the page number, but you said, when you're talking about the idea of agile at scale and especially when it comes to scaling frameworks you said most frameworks and methodologies focus on the project management side of agile meaning we look at velocity we look at things like release frequency or we look like percentage of sprint complete but we don't give ourselves the time to allow for evaluation of the adoption of the principles right which is where your grounded theory comes in where you're not just looking at the the pm piece but also trying to to pull that out of someone's soul to see if they've really
2: got it. Right. Yeah, you really have to, uh, it goes back to a little bit back to business transformation. You really have to rethink your business. You know, you have to, fo- you have to change from the iron triangle to the agile triangle, like Jim Highsmith talked about, where you're focusing on constraints, <laughs> value and quality, right? As opposed to <laughs> the old, that old iron triangle of scope and budget and time. And that requires you to basically rethink everything if you put that, uh, that idle triangle in place. And well, th- uh, it, that's, that's what that, that's, that's probably the most important thing, you know, not just the rituals, the process.
1: Vorticity applies to learning this stuff as well, right? Like, I mean, if you think about, if you think about a whirlpool, when you're on the, the furthest outside, right, you're barely even, you're barely even feeling anything. It barely even feels like water's moving. It's just kind of sort uh, but, it's only when you're really in the vortex and you reach a certain ring does the pace picks up. And so, like, this applies to, this, if, if I need to explain why Agile, like, why, why this takes, why transformation takes so long, why whatever framework, whatever technology you want to adopt, you know, like, getting Kubernetes tuned the right way, it doesn't matter, right? Like, there is, like, when you're on the way furthest outside, the water's fine. Right. Like you can look, you can peer in, you can go to a meetup every now and then, then all of a sudden you get a cert, you get a couple of certs, you get, you join, you know, you're a, you're a presenter at conferences, you're running your own teams. And now all of a sudden you're in charge of training. Like, I mean, the last five years for me, I mean, the pace just keeps picking up of my learning of stuff that I'm having to do. Same thing with same thing with the cycles and vorticity of our product. Right. Like, Hey, someone kind of mentioned it once one customer mentioned on a call once okay not a big deal hey we got five calls this week on this and as the as the you know you get further down this this is becoming more of a problem we're seeing monitorings getting even more messages more more you know more error codes more of this and that you know um it just speeds up the more it is and if your system can't handle it if your people can't keep up with people griping right i mean that's what social media teams are just keep tracking of the number of people that gripe about us on twitter right like if your system can't keep up with it you're gonna get smoked and people are gonna get fired and it's because you didn't choose to measure how fast that part of that that circle was going so like if anything david like starting with understanding all, those, all the vorticity of your org in the various stages of, of the funnel or the whirlpool and, and measuring that,
2: you're, you're, you're lost, right? Absolutely. And it's all about uh, keeping an eye out for the next whirlpool, too, because, you know, in some of our case studies, we found that, okay, at some point the market gets saturated and now you have to, okay, you, got, you have to develop a new product line. So in some of our case studies they became number 1 in on their market with this one whirlpool of like for example smart metering but they didn't advance into the analytics the data analytics part of it fast enough and so they didn't jump in in that new whirlpool fast enough and they lost their market share. So that's just yep. one example of hey you've got to focus on your current whirlpool but look out for new ones too and be ready to jump in. I just yeah it's it's just really novel to
1: say we need to see how fast we can respond at the different levels that we're at a identifying getting you know this is a really complex problem to get people to grok and identify and so please everybody go read meta agility if you want to read more about it hand it to your executive hand it to your c cio cto if you're if they're trying to understand hey have we measured our vorticity yet of all our different rings inside you know this this you know vortex right if we're not doing that and do we even, how do we even know that our systems, like how are we supposed to learn that? If, if even if you just ask those questions, that's the start of real transformation, right? So, yeah.
0: Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Don't let the don't let the, the fluid dynamics uh, metaphor overwhelm you. I mean, on uh, I got it here. I got it. I got my cover right here on page 79, figure 4.4. I actually, David, I have a, a separate Slack group I'm part of, which is just Agile Nerds. And I was reading the book outside and I took a picture of your, your, image of the whirlpool and all that and i texted it to the group no context and i said i think this guy gets it and to watch the responses we're like what what is this this is a oh wait wait a minute because one of the guys on, in the group does embedded system development and he's going and then i get oh shit and then there's 10 minutes later i see oh shit then a 15 minutes later is <laughs> i get a private dm where he goes yo what book is this <laughs> I need to get a copy of this so like Wait, there's a, a, this,
1: there's a, this a slack that you're a member of that I'm not on too
0: yeah I try to I try to I try not to mix my agile nerd populations it's like the end of Southland Tales you'll shake what, hands and what am explode. I to you it's gonna get we it's were, gonna get crazy but it, but the the point is um even if even if this sounds a little bit daunting to our listeners check out the book pick that up if you can't pick that up and look and grok it it's it's kind of it's it's not overwhelming and and david i mean we're i mean in the hour we've been talking we really haven't done it service to there's a whole lot more in the book you talk about yeah. you know yeah. document we, document we, just we enough not just read because the clip
1: notes of the clip notes.
0: <laughs> i mean <laughs> you talk about dealing with government regulation you talk about requirements you talk about yeah. um all releases right how to schedule releases all these things where when when you the 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 pessimists that are listening to this or the pessimists are reading the transcript is going to say oh well what about this what about that i guarantee you that 99.9 percent of the things you're going to complain about david has already talked about in the book and it's not that he's talked about it in a theory navel gazey sort of way you've actually done questionnaires where you've gotten feedback from people who've done this to say yes we encountered that and this is how we solved for it
2: yep right
1: absolutely Let- Let's uh, let's land this sucker, Jay. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, we're getting lo- we're yeah. getting on. So, so David, if people want more information, right, if yeah. they want to get a copy of the book, they want to reach out to you. Maybe they want to pick your brain. Where do they go? Where do they find you?
2: Well, they can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, they can also find me on Twitter uh, at David Anth A N T H Bishop. Um, and also, you can find the uh, the book wherever books are sold on Amazon, um, and uh, pretty much everywhere I think.
0: Awesome. Yep. Awesome. So on behalf of Chris and myself, David, we want to thank you for coming on and taking the time with us, yes. even though we kind of, we kind of did turn your book into all a book report, right. but everybody should check Jilly it out anyway. Everybody read it. <laughs> um, on behalf of David, Chris and myself, I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening again. If you like what you heard, please give us a review, a rating, some feedback on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podhub, your podcast listening platform of choice. If you want to talk more about the book itself, we have a very vibrant discord server. Please hop on in. Uh, we want to thank the artist Krebs from Machine Men Records for giving our outro music a royalty free. Maybe someday we'll monetize YouTube. And last but not least, we are committed to always being a free show. However, however, we do have a Patreon, and we now have a fifteen dollar a month patron where you get surprises in the mail. What are you going to get? Who knows? Maybe it'll be stickers. Maybe it'll be magnets. Maybe it'll I've be seen a copy what's of
1: it's, I've, I would have seen what's coming. It's pretty nuts.
0: Yeah, we're going to send everybody I a copy want of, my of my SPC own. manual. So once again, thanks everybody for tuning in. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out.